Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van Ikerk and my guest today is veteran investor Tony Bell. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Vunani Fund Managers. Tony, welcome back to the show. Uh, when I spoke to you last year, it was around March. Uh, markets were in a bit of turmoil and you described it as a healthy correction at the time. Um, it was also during the period where Ramaphoria started to fade um, and I think the rest of 2018 was a bit of a dog show. Um, but since then, a lot has happened in South Africa and around the world. And since January, our market has bounced by around 8%, um, despite more negative news than positive. How do you reconcile this positive performance um, of the market in, in this uh, environment? Rick, good afternoon, and thanks for inviting me onto your show again. Yes, it, the, the market turned out to be a slightly healthier correction than unanticipated. And I think what went wrong in December by way of introduction is that the U.S. caught a whiff of deflation. Uh, when I came back from the BTA conference in Toronto in September, there was a general upbeat perspective on the U.S. economy. Uh, growth was strong. The labor market was strong. Uh, companies were still investing uh, the, the market had expected the Fed to raise rates another twice this year, but inflation really wasn't a major concern. And so I think what happened since our last discussion is that uh, the negative growth and the whiff of deflation that uh, unsettled investors in December really caused the price earnings multiple of our market and the S&P to be the major factor in the negative uh, performance for the quarter. Um, we've done quite a significant amount of work on the decomposition of returns, both in the quarter and for the year as a whole. And unquestionably, if you go back, the uh, de-rating de of the market through the PE contraction was the major contributor. So I, I think with that an introduction, um, what to answer your question, what do I make of this market bounce? I think a lot of the deflationary concerns have abated. Uh, the Fed has turned dovish. Uh, the dollar has uh, stopped strengthening. The U.S. bond market has corrected slightly upwards. And I think investors have a renewed sense of optimism that EM, China in particular, will engage in some form of stimulation which will nudge growth in 2019 slightly higher, and with that, the EM currencies have strengthened. Uh, the yields offered by many emerging markets uh, emerging markets have, uh, have attracted investors together with the stronger currency, and, and that's really translated into more of a risk-on phase than we saw in December where the market was decidedly risk-off. Political developments in South Africa are pretty interesting. We're going to see an election later this year. We will see a lot of populist uh, statements being made. How much value or how much notice do you take of these developments um, and uh, their impact on the local market? Right, not a lot. I must uh, hasten to add I'm not a political specialist by any stretch of the imagination. But when I listen to President Ramaphosa's State of the Nation and uh, Minister Mbaweni yesterday, uh, I'm starting to read encourage or see encouraging signals between the lines. 
I, I don't think that I, in my lifetime, had expected a president in South Africa to talk about preparing for the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, this is normally the prevail of, you know, dinner party conversations in in high society in Europe, where if you have a look at the work that has been done around the so-called fourth industrial revolution, it really talks to three pillars. It talks to the energy, uh, sustainability. It, it talks to technology. Uh, and it, it obviously talks to the way in which uh, the world around us is shifting from a consumer and behavioral perspective. And I was really encouraged when I listened to President Ramaphosa in the way in which he introduced the conversation, as well as Minister Mbaweni, introducing the conversation around the structural changes that are needed. So I bring that up really as providing some context uh, for the listeners against the very emotional debate that often happens around the populist uh, and political rhetoric, particularly at a time event of, uh, of, of, of electioneering. I think we need to take our lead, as I've often indicated, from the markets. We're in a little bit of a, a post-budget euphoria at the moment, but we do have some hurdles to cross. Moody's is a big hurdle uh, in, in late March, uh, and, and that might create a, a very strong headwind for the politicians uh, in order for them to be able to, to have the, the basis for, for implementing the changes that are needed. So I think both President Ramaphosa and Minister Mbaweni are, are trying to walk a, a fairly fine line between appealing to an electorate that is kind of stuck in the past and uh, a country that needs to more, move forward into the future. Let's talk about the local market. Uh, Vunani has two equity funds, one active and one passive. Why do you have both options? Well, that's an interesting question. The... Um, the passive equity fund really is is part of a, a historic historical uh, evolution of of the business. When before we were Vinani fund managers, we were Peregrine Quant, and we had developed quite a significant capability back in 2002 in what is now commonly referred to as smart beta products, uh, and that capability still exists, but the Market, by and large, has looked for active equity in the bull market of 2009 quite logically. And so we find the two sit quite comfortably side by side. There's obviously a cost advantage of going into uh, more passive or beta-style products. Uh, and the active equity fund, I'm pleased to say, has done reasonably well. Tony, let's talk about your actively managed equity fund. It's a very interesting one indeed. If I look at your top holdings, uh, NASPAS is right at the top. It represents 8.8% of the total portfolio value. Uh, NASPAS, of course, is currently unbundling multi-choice. What are your views on NASPAS? The, I think the NASPAS has gone through the logical phase of, of expansion and consolidation. Uh, I think it's still very much in the consolidation phase, but we're starting to become a lot more encouraged at current price levels as uh, if the market is not over-excited about the future growth uh, that the company can deliver. You know, if you look at the scale of NASPERS and the extent to which gaming is gaining, gaining traction, 
in China, there's still quite a large economic base that can be monetized and tapped. And so from both the global fund that I run and the domestic equity fund, we see a natural crossover into that market where as China uh, starts to initiate a reflation policy through the course of 2019, that entire ecosystem should improve as a result of the focus moving away from the contraction of credit in the economy towards policies that induce more consumer spending and and Tencent is well positioned to monetize that as we go forward. It is still one of the top three technology companies in Asia and I think, you know, subject to the uh, ongoing tussle between the US and China resolving itself adequately, uh, we could find some of the, the growth start to be renewed in that market. The rest of the portfolio is also interesting. At number four is Vodacom. Now, Vodacom hasn't performed well in the recent times. It's down close to 30% over the past year. Uh, why do you like Vodacom? Well, it's one of those, those interplays between a nice high dividend yield in a market where opportunity was scarce. Uh, the dividend yield and the ability of the company to deliver or, to, or, or generate cash to pay dividend uh, has been quite attractive. And particularly in both our multi-asset funds and in the domestic equity, we've looked to anchor a portion of the portfolio in, I guess, what one would just call boring high dividend yield stocks uh, that have the ability to sustain their dividend yield and anchor the return. Uh, part of the benefit has been to uh, reduce some of the volatility in the portfolio, but also to to try and uh, produce um, cash-like returns in a market where earnings growth was, was certainly not assured. Looking at the, the other top holdings, uh, you are quite heavily invested in the bank. Standard Bank, Nedbank and APSA make the, the top 10. Uh, you know, I know it's one of the sectors that always been uh, mooted as one that offers value, but uh, why do you have three banks in there? We try and, in the banking sector, we try and uh, just get an entry point into different aspects uh, of, the, of, of the financial services sector through the different uh, holdings in Nedbank, for example, is more exposed to the corporate market. Uh, Standard Bank, a little bit more to the consumer and penetration into Africa and, and other EMs. And, and absolutely, it's a restructuring story around the potential to unlock some of its uh, price to book relative to its competitors. You'll notice an absence of first round in the top 10 holdings, and it's exactly the combination of, of the three that you've mentioned that gives us the broader coverage without exposure to the first round group, which we've always seen as a little bit on the pricey side as with Discovery. Moody's uh, was not too impressed with the budget and South Africa's fiscal position. Uh, of course, they are the only ratings agency that still rates our international currency or, and, and debt as an investment grade. Are you worried that we may see a downgrade this year? And if we do, what do you think the impact will be on equity markets? Yes, I think it's important to, to dig a little bit into the, the technical aspect of Moody's uh, downgrade. And Moody's itself really has to do one of two things for the rating to downgrade. If I look at the methodology, one of the following has to happen. 
it has to double downgrade economic strength or it has to double downgrade fiscal strength. Uh, it's an or, it's not an and. And I think whilst both uh, President Ramaphosa and Minister Mbaweni have gone a long way to addressing some of the concerns that Moody uh, has expressed, I'm not sure, given the forecasts that were presented in the budget, uh, that Moody's may be convinced enough of the economic strength going forward. Uh, the fiscal strength has improved, but by both metrics, both are lower than they were at the, term of the, at the time of the medium-term budget framework. And so it's hard to call like these things, hard to call, but it might movies in the direction of moving to a lower rating with the consequences for South Africa being fairly unpalatable. Uh, I don't think we can discount it as a zero probability, but I wouldn't put it as, as much as a 50% probability because of the methodology of needing a double downgrade on either. And so it's a really difficult call. It's very much at the margin at the moment. I've listened to commentators yesterday and today, and, and, and I don't think any of us really know. I, I think it would be a best-guess estimate uh, at this stage. I mean, those discussions still have to take place. We don't know what the outcome would be, um, but if it did happen, it's, it would probably not be the best outcome that uh, we could get at this time. Are you actively trying to mitigate that risk? Well, I think in the last uh, six months, Every fund manager in town has been trying to actively mitigate a range of risk. And in the multi-asset portfolios we run, we've obviously got quite a lot of offshore exposure. In the global equity fund that I run, I've recently switched a lot of rands into dollars and a little bit into pounds. Uh, you know, into the underlying investments, one wants to make sure that you don't sit with uh, any potential blowouts and credit risk spreads. So we're looking at all aspects of the portfolio. Uh, I think given the uh, progress that's been made both in the budget and the state of the nation, uh, it, it would be uh, it, it would be a, an unnecessary development if, if Moody's did decide to downgrade because I, I think at this stage the, the balance of probability favors structural change reallocation of capital decisions uh, and, and the renewal of the prospect of, of higher confidence in investment. So if it did come at this stage, it, it would be an, an unwelcome development. Tony, your global uh, macro fund performed really well. You've won a few Raging Bull Awards. Congratulations on those. Currently, we are seeing interesting developments offshore and especially in the U.S. Uh, where this fund has a, a lot of exposure. Tell us about this fund and, and what your philosophy is behind it. Rick, um, thanks very much for the kind words. The, the fund was started about six years ago really as a result of the demand from uh, local investors who wanted a bespoke-focused offshore fund and the clients uh, in the Banani suite of segregated funds that were we're looking for offshore exposure. My primary focus here is to pick a portfolio of up to about 35 stocks, looking at the top 250 stocks in the world. And I really do it on a simple basis of trying to understand how companies may improve their earnings growth 
uh, at present and into the future. So the approach is very much a bottom-up fundamental one where I try and understand how the earnings growth of the company might change and how much of that is captured in the price. Um, as you can see from the fact sheet, the top 10 holdings are not particularly unfamiliar. Uh, at the top, we've got companies like Procter & Gamble, MasterCard, Amazon, Boeing, Starbucks, and Adobe. So they really are very high-quality investments with about 25 to 30 stocks in the portfolio that give the, global, give the investor global coverage uh, at a very modest price uh, in, in South African terms. The asset allocation is also interesting, uh, 65% in foreign equity, as you would expect, but then uh, around 35% in cash, of which 20% is offshore. Where do you park the cash and what are your yields uh, on, on, on those uh, investments? Yeah, we're both discussing the January fact sheet. Being a flexible fund, one of the benefits that I've got is I can move very quickly and very dynamically between equity exposure and cash. Uh, what I started to do in October last year following uh, the conference we were speaking about earlier in the interview is I took the fund to nearly 40% in cash. Some of it I actually brought back into RAND and I, I matched the dollar exposure with equivalent RAND exposure. The fund benefited nicely from that because I parked that money, uh, so to speak, in South African uh, NCDs, picking up a very nice yield plus the currency gain. Um, but I'm back up at about 80% equity invested, uh, and whilst the fund itself benefited significantly from not having a significant drawdown during the fourth quarter of this year, I've now picked up and benefited from the rally that we've seen in the S&P since around late December last year when the Fed changed its position. But that's a pretty aggressive change in the portfolio. How often do you actually uh, change the composition and the asset allocation within a fund? Rightly, the short answer is not often, but I do move quite aggressively when the market uh, indicates a very strong risk-off position. And I do it by both adjusting the cash weighting, but also adjusting the position sizes of the stocks in the portfolio. So from in, a, in a typical up cycle in the market, my top positions would be between 4 and 6%. You can see from the January fact sheet that the top positions are between 2 and 3%. So I have significantly reduced in the last quarter of last year my active risk in the portfolio. And I think that was consistent with both the macro environment change as well as the volatility we were going through. Um, it is a feature of the portfolio to be flexible, and I think once one is given that mandate, although it is often difficult to affect market timing decisions, I try and do it through progressively managing my risk positions in the portfolio, and whatever cash results as a consequence of that is an end result, not an objective. Thank you, Tony. That was Tony Bell. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Vinani Fund Managers.